Chapter 9, Part 1 of The Many Sided Franklin by Paul Lester Ford. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Chapter 9, The Scientist, Part 1. In 1752, when Franklin's letters on electricity were translated into French and printed at Paris, the preceptor of the royal family, the Abbé Nolette, who had formed and published a theory of electricity, would not at first believe that such a work came from America, and said it must have been fabricated by his enemies at Paris to decry his system nor was it for some time that he could be convinced that there really existed such a man as franklin at philadelphia such a fact serves strikingly to show his position in american philosophy it is difficult to discover what first turned franklin's attention to the questions of science and it seems most likely that it was merely one expression of his appetite for learning as a boy in Boston, so his autobiography relates, his brother's paper was aided by, quote, some ingenious men among his friends who amused themselves by writing little pieces, end quote. And from another source, it is known that among them was Dr. William Douglas, who ranked high in the colonies for his learning. But the fact that he and his fellow writers were desperately opposed to inoculation reveals the limits of their intellects and makes it improbable that the so-called Hellfire Club exerted much of an influence upon the apprentice. During Franklin's brief sojourn in London in 1725-26, through 26, he made the acquaintance of several men of scientific attainments, among others of Dr. Mandeville, author of The Fable of the Bees, and Dr. Pemberton, the Secretary of the Royal Society an asbestos purse he brought with him from america and which he offered for sale secured him the acquaintance of sir hans sloane who franklin relates came to see me and invite me to his house in bloomsbury square where he showed me all his curiosities Pemberton promised to give me an opportunity some time or other of seeing sir isaac newton of which i was extremely desirous but this never happened Thus it is evident that even at twenty Franklin had strong predilections for men and questions of science. His life after his return to Philadelphia goes as well to prove his interest. Here, he, quote, formed most of my ingenious acquaintance into a club of mutual improvement, end quote, which was called the Junto, each member of which in turn was required to produce one or more queries on any point of morals politics or natural philosophy to be discussed by the company a few of the questions so propounded and debated are known and among them are to be found such as how may the phenomena of vapors be explained what is the reason that the tides rise higher in the bay of funday than in the bay of delaware and why does the flame of a candle tend upwards in a spire it is not probable that the discussions were of much importance though franklin himself asserted that the club was the best school of philosophy morality and politics that then existed in the province for our queries which were read the week preceding their discussion put us upon reading with attention upon the several subjects that we might speak more to the purpose the early years of his printing were too busy ones to let him devote much time to such subjects, but his newspaper supplies an occasional evidence that he was not wholly neglecting them. In the Gazette, as early as 1732, 
he wrote on making rivers navigable a little later on late discoveries and in seventeen thirty seven he compiled for his columns an article on the causes of earthquakes Quote, the late earthquakes felt here and probably in all the neighboring provinces having made many people desirous to know what may be the natural cause of such violent concussions though his trade prevented him from all research himself his real interest at the time is well proved by his drawing up a subscription paper to raise an annual fund to enable that accurate observer john bartram who quote, has had a propensity to botanics from his infancy and to the productions of nature in general to pursue his searches after vegetables and fossils on condition that he will describe and yearly communicate to the subscribers the results. Out of this subscription grew a far more important project. In 1744, Franklin suggested the formation of a society of those interested in science and drew up a proposal or a plan for such an organization to which he gave the name of the American Philosophical Society, offering himself to serve as secretary. His wish was attained so far as the formation, but for many years little was accomplished, and Franklin complained that the members of our society here are very idle gentlemen who will take no pains. In connection with it, the printer planned to publish an American philosophical miscellany, monthly or quarterly, but this was never achieved. Long after, the society grew into importance, and with Franklin as its president, came to take rank among the learned bodies of Europe. Prior to the issue of the proposal, Franklin had proved his right to be deemed more than a student of science by his invention of the famous Franklin stove. One of his queries for the Gento was entitled, How May Smoke Chimneys Be Best Cured? Suggesting that very early in his studies, his attention was turned to a kindred problem. It is strange, methinks, Franklin remarked, that though chimneys have been for so long in use, the construction should be so little understood till lately that no workman pretended to make one which should always carry off all smoke. Nor was this the only difficulty of the old fireplace the investigator catalogued. It might have the quote, conveniency of two warm seats, one in each corner, but they are sometimes too hot to abide in and the cold air so nips the backs and heels of those that sit before the fire that they have no comfort till either screens or settles are provided. While a moderate quantity of wood on the fire in so large a hearth seems but little, and in so strong and cold a draught warms but little, so that people are continually laying on more. In short, it is next to impossible to warm a room with such a fireplace, as an alternative, a Dutch or German stove could be used, but these had offsetting defects in that they supplied little or no fresh air to the room, and there is no sight of the fire, which in itself is a pleasant thing. To combine the advantages and eliminate the defects of the two systems was the task he set himself, and in 1742 he evolved the Pennsylvania fireplace, in which the heat from an open fire after ascending was made to descend before escaping through the chimney and thus was made to heat currents of fresh air as they entered the room it is impossible today to realize what this improvement meant i suppose our ancestors never thought said franklin of warming rooms to sit in 
all they purposed was to have a place to make a fire in by which they might warm themselves when cold but with this stove your whole room is equally warm so that people need not crowd so close round the fire but may sit near the window and have the benefit of the light for reading writing needlework etc and they may sit with comfort in any part of the room which is a very considerable advantage in a large family it was accomplished too with a great saving in fuel i suppose the inventor claimed taking a number of families together that two-thirds or half the wood at least is saved he himself found that quote, my common room i know is made twice as warm as it used to be with a quarter of the wood i formerly consumed there end quote. this saving by his own choice was all the profit that accrued to him in his autobiography he said i made a present of the model to mr robert grace one of my early friends who having an iron furnace found the casting of the plates for these stoves a profitable thing as they were growing in demand to promote that demand i wrote and published a pamphlet entitled an account of the new invented pennsylvania fireplaces wherein their construction and manner of operation is particularly explained their advantages above every other method of warming rooms demonstrated and all objections that have been raised against the use of them answered and obviated etc this pamphlet had a good effect governor thomas was so pleased with the construction of this stove as described in it that he offered to give me a patent for the sole vending of them for a term of years but i declined it from a principle which has ever weighed with me on such occasions viz that as we enjoy great advantages from the inventions of others we should be glad of an opportunity to serve others in any invention of ours and this we should do freely and generously an ironmonger in london however assuming a good deal of my pamphlet and working it up into his own and making some small changes in the machine which rather hurt its operation got a patent for it there and made as i was told a little fortune by it and this is not the only instance of patents taken out for my inventions by others though not always with the same success which i never contested as having no desire of profiting by patents myself and hating disputes the use of these fireplaces in very many houses both of this and the neighboring colonies has been and is a great saving of wood to the inhabitants many years later franklin invented a second stove which he believed would be of equal service constructed on the principle of the siphon so that the fire was made to draw downward thus consuming its own smoke and which could burn either wood or coal his first model in which the coals were held in an ornamental urn was completed in seventeen seventy one and was used by him successfully for several years but the stove never obtained any general vogue it however supplied the basis of a clever epigram said to have been written by a miss norris which obtained great currency at the time Quote, like newton sublimely he soared to a summit before unattained new regions of science explored and the palm of philosophy gained oh had he been wise to pursue the track for his talents designed what tribute of praise had been due to the teacher and friend of mankind but to covet political fame was in him a degrading ambition a spark that from lucifer came and kindled the flame of sedition 
let candor then write on his urn here lies the renowned inventor whose flame to the skies sought to burn but inverted descends to the centre although it was not announced until some years later franklin in seventeen forty three made a discovery which if not as utilitarian as his stove bespoke a higher order for scientific research in that year he was prevented from observing an eclipse by a storm which obscured the moon much to his surprise he found that though the storm blew from the northeast yet it had not reached boston till an hour after the eclipse was over this set him to studying the movements of the winds and to the proving of the apparent contradiction that storms travel in an opposite direction from that of the wind impossible as this might seem to reconcile franklin formed a conjecture which is scarcely to be equalled in scientific writing for its clearness convincingness and happy use of comparison Quote, suppose he assumed a great tract of country land and sea to wit florida and the bay of mexico to have clear weather for several days and to be heated by the sun and its air thereby exceedingly rarefied suppose the country northeastward as pennsylvania new england nova scotia and newfoundland to be at the same time covered with clouds and its air chilled and condensed the rarefied air being lighter must rise and the denser air next to it will press into its place and that will be followed by the next denser air that by the next and so on thus when i have a fire in my chimney there is a current of air constantly flowing from the door to the chimney but the beginning of the motion was at the chimney where the air being rarefied by the fire rising its place was supplied by the cooler air that was next to it and the place of that by the next and so on to the door so the water in the long sluice or mill race being stopped by a gate is at rest like the air in a calm but as soon as you open the gate at one end to let it out the water next to the gate begins first to move that which is next to it follows and so though the water proceeds forward to the gate the motion which began there runs backwards if one may so speak to the upper end of the race where the water is last in motion End quote. it was in seventeen forty six that franklin's attention was first drawn to electricity from a long period of neglect the subject had suddenly secured renewed attention by gray's experiments as to the conductivity of various substances and dufay's discovery of what he deemed two kinds of electricity close upon these developments came the perfecting of the leyden jar and with it the science sprang into instant popularity Traveling electricians went about all over Europe, exhibiting the phenomena and selling shocks to a half-frightened and deeply interested public. It was one of these itinerants who set the master printer to studying the mysterious fluid. Quote, Being at Boston, I met there with a Dr. Spence, who was lately arrived from Scotland, and showed me some electric experiments. They were imperfectly performed, as he was not very expert, but being on a subject quite new to me, they equally surprised and pleased me. Soon after my return to Philadelphia, our library company received from Mr. P. Collinson, fellow of the Royal Society of London, a present of a glass tube, with some account of the use of it in making such experiments i eagerly seized the opportunity of repeating what i had seen in boston and by much practice acquired great readiness in performing those also which we had an account of from england adding a number of new ones 
I say much practice, for my house was continually full for some time with people who came to see these new wonders. End quote. There was a quality in Franklin's mind which made it impossible for him not to attempt improvement in whatever he took in hand, and within a year he had ascertained a fact which went far to revolutionize the whole science. Discarding the idea that electricity was a substance created by friction, he maintained that it was, quote, really an element diffused among and attracted by other matter, particularly by water and metals, end quote. He proved that the Leyden jar, no matter how highly electrified, contained no more electricity than it did before it was charged, what was added to one surface being taken from the other. This demonstrated, he brushed aside Dufay's theory of vitreous and resinous electricity, and gave to the world in its stead that of a positive and negative, or as he sometimes phrased it, of a plus and minus state. Not merely did this account for and explain the great mass of known phenomena, but the beginning of modern electricity may be said to date from the discovery, for by it the mysterious fluid, from being merely a curiosity, became potentially a new force or power. Other investigators had suggested the probable identity of electricity and lightning, and to prove this was Franklin's next undertaking. He first drew up a paper bringing together all the evidence and arguments in favor of the belief, but in his scientific work he was never satisfied with a mere theory, and so he undertook to demonstrate it. Probably his method was suggested to him by an account he received of a certain ship's experience with St. Elmo's fire and a stroke of lightning during a storm. These masthead globes of fire, Franklin argued, were but, quote, the electrical fire, then drawing off as by points from the cloud, and had there been a good wire communication from the spindle heads to the sea that could have conducted more freely than tarred ropes or masts of turpentine would, I imagine there would have either been no stroke, or if a stroke, the wire would have conducted it all into the sea without damage to the ship. To determine the question whether the clouds that contain lightning are electrified or not, I would propose an experiment to be tried where it may be done conveniently. On the top of some high tower or steeple, place a kind of sentry box, big enough to contain a man and an electrical stand. From the middle of the stand, let an iron rod rise and pass bending out of the door, and then upright twenty or thirty feet, pointed very sharp at the end. If the electrical stand be kept clean and dry, a man standing on it, when such clouds are passing low, might be electrified and afford sparks, the rod drawing fire to him from a cloud. If any danger to the man should be apprehended, though I think there would be none, let him stand on the floor of his box, and now and then bring near to the rod a loop of a wire that has one end fastened to the leads, he holding it by a wax handle, so that sparks, if the rod is electrified, will strike from the rod to the wire and not affect him, end quote. Franklin himself was not able to carry out this experiment because Philadelphia was without a suitable eminence. His suggestion was seized upon, however, by the French savants Buffon, Galibard, and Delors. On a hill at Marley, a rod was erected, and on May 10, 1752, 
quote, a thundercloud having passed over the place where the bar stood, those who were appointed to observe it drew near and attracted from it sparks of fire, perceiving the same kind of commotions as in the common electrical experiments, end quote. Ere Franklin learned of this successful proving of his theory with his method by the French scientists, he could write them that, quote, the same experiment has succeeded in Philadelphia, though made in a different and more easy manner, end quote. Then, in a purely abstract form, he described the mode which so seized the popular fancy. Quote, Make a small cross of two light strips of cedar, the arm so long as to reach to the four corners of a large thin silk handkerchief when extended, tie the corners of the handkerchief to the extremities of the cross, so you have the body of a kite, which, being properly accommodated with a tail, loop, and string, will rise in the air like those made of paper, but this being of silk is fitter to bear the wet and wind of a thunder gust without tearing. To the top of the upright stick of the cross is to be fixed a very sharp pointed wire, rising a foot or more above the wood. To the end of the twine, next to the hand, is to be tied a silk ribbon, and where the silk and twine join, a key may be fastened. This kite is to be raised when the thunder gust appears to be coming on, and the person who holds the string must stand within a door or window or under some cover so that the silk ribbon may not be wet. And care must be taken that the twine does not touch the frame of the door or window. As soon as any of the thunderclouds come over the kite, the pointed wire will draw the electric fire from them, and the kite, with all the twine, will be electrified and the loose filaments of the twine will stand out every way and be attracted by an approaching finger. And when the rain has wetted the kite and twine so that it can conduct the electric fire freely, you will find it stream out plentifully from the key on the approach of your knuckle. At this key the file may be charged, and from electric fire thus obtained, spirits may be kindled, and all the other electric experiments be performed, which are usually done by the help of a rubbed glass globe or a tube, and thereby the sameness of the electric matter with that of lightning completely demonstrated. End quote. Even before the identity of electricity and lightning had thus been established, Franklin outlined his proposal for the protection of buildings. If these things are so, he argued as early as 1749, may not the knowledge of this power of points be of use to mankind in preserving houses, churches, ships, etc., from the stroke of lightning by directing us to fix, on the highest parts of those edifices, upright rods of iron made sharp as a needle and gilt to prevent rusting, and from the foot of those rods a wire down the outside of the building into the ground or down round one of the shrouds of a ship and down her side till it reaches the water would not these pointed rods probably draw the electrical fire silently out of a cloud before it came nigh enough to strike and thereby secure us from that most sudden terrible mischief End quote. It was preeminently Franklinian that he should turn his discovery to a useful purpose before the truth of it was accepted, far less confirmed. And few inventors have been so directly rewarded, for he relates that, quote, My own house was one day attacked by lightning, which occasioned the neighbors to run in and give assistance in case of its being on fire. 
but no damage was done and my family was only found a good deal frightened with the violence of the explosion last year my house being enlarged the conductor was obliged to be taken down i found upon examination that the pointed termination of the copper which was originally nine inches long and about one-third of an inch in diameter in its thickest part had been almost entirely melted and that its connection with the rod of iron below was very slight thus in the course of time this invention has proved of use to the author of it and has added this personal advantage to the pleasure he before received from having been useful to others End, quote. End of chapter nine part one